my job as uh, father, grandfather uh, of our clan, um, we started with three. Three became six. Six became 16. Uh, people ask me, how many grandchildren do you have? And, and I usually respond by saying, 10 little Indians. I know that that's not politically correct, okay? And probably we'll get a letter from the ACLU eventually, you know, but, but you know, 10, 10 grandkids, you know. My responsibility, my wife buys clothes for the kids for Christmas. I buy the toys, you know? Uh, one of the things that you do not want to, to deal with on Christmas morning is to give a child a toy and then to notice on the box that it says, and you have not prepared, batteries not included, right? That's a nightmare, to give a child a toy that they can't use because you don't have batteries, and you got to wait until the store opens up and try to find one on Christmas Day, right? So I'm just trying to tell you now, get a lot of batteries. You know what I haven't noticed? I haven't noticed the, uh, the Ever-Ready Bunny on TV for a long time. I, I think it's like when AWOL, you know, it's like the, what happened to the Ever-Ready Bunny, you know, uh, keeps on going, right? That keeps on going. You know, I, I am really surprised that the, that the, the company that, that, that advertises, you know, the Ever-Ready Battery uh, has not been called in the carpet by the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, for false advertising. Because we all know those batteries run out. You know, they don't last forever, right? They advertise, they keep on running, they keep on going, but, but we know that they don't, right? Uh, there is nothing in this creation that is perpetual energy. But in order to find perpetual power, energy, we've got to go outside of the creation. We've got to think outside the box. And to be able to think outside the box is to look to the creator. That's theology. That's what we're going to do this morning. As we continue in this series of, of 10,000 reasons, looking at some of the reasons why we should just be in awe of the one who loves us, the one with whom we have to do, the one who has set his love, his everlasting love upon us. And, and, and as a result, we've been looking at his character, we've been looking at his attributes, we've been looking at some of the, some of the things that he does as a result of, of his attributes and his character. Uh, this morning, what I want to talk to you about is the ever-present God. The ever-ready bunny is not really all that powerful anyway, but my God is, is all-powerful. We're going to look at, at a verse of Scripture in a couple of minutes uh, where a number of his attributes kind of run over into one another. They, they kind of collide, and uh, they, they kind of uh, are just right there in, in uh, a psalm that's written about, oh, I guess about 3,000 years ago. But it's so relevant for us today, for our, our experience is the same as their experience was way back then. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a dad, I'm a father, and I like to think of myself as being, you know, an ever-ready dad, you know, uh, ever-ready to help. Uh, you know, my kids call me up a lot of times, and, and they ask for advice. And, and you need advice, you just ask, and, 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 and I'll, you know, I'll give you what I know. You know, you need a, a helping hand, 
I'll, I'll be there. Just, just let me know what time you need me there. You need money? Just oh, ask your mother, you know? <laughs> you know, no, seriously, yeah. I mean, we, 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 we like to help, uh, but, but as many of us as our fathers here this morning, you, you, you know this, that, that, that our, our willingness and our eagerness to help oftentimes meets with the impact of our inability, our limitations, uh, our lack of resources, uh, our lack of experience. Sometimes we just don't have the answers, and we don't know. But not so with our Heavenly Father. You know, I love the fact that, that of all the attributes that we can talk about, we, we, we are never to forget that He is to us our Heavenly Father. You know, one of the principal uh, missions of Jesus was to reveal the heart, the nature, the face of God. And if you've seen me, Jesus said, you've seen the Father. If you, if you, if you come, have come to know and understand my heart, then you've come to know and understand the heart of our Father God. Uh, think about that for a moment. The Father, Abba, Daddy. What a privilege it is to call him that. This, this, this everlasting God, this this eternal, this ever-present God. And this morning, I, I, I want to zero in on the ever-present God for us today. But I love what Paul said. Paul said, for this cause, Ephesians chapter 3, I think it's verse 14. He said, for this cause I bow my knee before the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. That simple verse yeah, it's so profound because it tells us that, that the relationship that we're to have as children to our Heavenly Father is, is a, a family relationship. God has a family both in heaven and on earth. Those that have, have gone before us, and we all, know, we all know folks that were once worshiping alongside of us that are now uh, the church triumphant. Uh, the church on earth right now is the church militant. The church in heaven is the church triumphant. But, but understand this, that God, God has a family. And I, I suppose this morning that one of the, one of the, the things that, that we need to ask ourselves this morning, and I need to ask you is, are you a part of the family of God? Have, have you become a member of the family of God? That's, that's probably the most important question that I, I could ask you this morning. Have you been brought into the family? Because that's not automatic. Uh, and I want to show you how you can be brought into the family of God. I'm just going to divert for a moment because I think that this is very important. In one of the most concise places of Scripture where, in just a couple of verses, we are told how to become members of the family of God, the Apostle John is talking about Jesus, who was from the beginning with God, who was God, the Word was God, he says this about, about Jesus in, in John chapter 1, verse 10. He says, He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, that is, that there is nothing that exists that, that did, did not, was not created by Jesus. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, meaning his own people, his own nation, the, the, the tribe 
of Judah, the children of Israel, but his own did not receive him. They did not recognize him. Even the members of his own family did not believe upon him. Yet verse 12 says, to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right, the power to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. Please look at verse 12 again. Just just keep that up there for a minute. Uh, Verse 12 says, here's here's the answer. To those who receive, notice the word receive, and notice the word in the next sentence, or the, or, or the part of the same verse, to those that believed in his name. If you will receive, and if you will believe in his name, if you will receive that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, if you will receive that Jesus is the Savior, that he is your Savior, and if you will believe in his name, and that is all that he has came to accomplish, that his achievements become your achievements, that his, his accomplishments become your accomplishments, that his righteousness by a gift becomes your righteousness. That is the way in which God produces this new birth power, giving you the right to become the children of God, even to those that believe on his name. Because what is it that we really, that we really want? We want to be happy. And there's no greater way of knowing the grace, the peace, and the power of God than by giving entrance into his family and being made one of his own children. I'm a father, and I try to be there as much as I can for my kids, but but here's, here's the problem. I have two sons that live 400 miles apart. And if both of them need help at the same time, only one of them is going to get help. I am not omnipresent. I'm not ever-present. And you know, you know that that's obvious, but, but it speaks about our limitations. But, but there's, there's this felt need in the human heart that we want somebody to take us by the hand. We, we want somebody to be a, a help to us. Uh, let, let me share a, a song with you. James Taylor. How many of you know James Taylor, right? A good pop singer, right? He, he made popular this song, and I just will share the lyrics with you. And, and it just relates to the felt need of the human side. You know, it, now it's a nice tune. It's a nice melody. He's got a, he's got a uh, you know, it's velvety kind of a voice. But it really is, is resonating with the felt need of the human heart. Listen to what he says. When you're down and troubled and you need a helping hand, and nothing, whoa, nothing is going right. Close your eyes and think of me, and soon I'll be there to brighten up your darkest night. You just call out my name, and you know wherever I am, I'll come running, oh baby, to see you again. Winter, spring, summer, or fall, all you got to do is call, yeah, 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 you got a friend. You know? And that resonates with us because, because we're looking for this friend who will be there for us, who will take us by the hand and who will, who will help us during times of darkness and when we're in trouble. Here's, here's another famous song that resonates with the human spirit. Lean on me, 
when you're not strong, and I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on. You just call on me, brother. When you need a hand, we all need somebody to lean on. You know, it's a real popular song that's been popularized by, by the fact that, that it answers to a, a, a felt need within us. And, of course, there's Toy Story. You got a friend in me, you know? And there's Toy Story 2 and there's Toy, Toy Story 3. It's the theme song, right? I didn't see Toy Story 3, but do they sing that in Toy Story 3? Yeah, because, because, it's, because it so resonates with our need. But there's not a human being that can be all that to us. And so we've got to, again, look outside the box. We've got to go outside the creation to the creator. Who is to us a father? And as a result of that, I want you to just consider this statement. Throw this statement up on the screen, if you would, please. From conception to our last breath, from the moment of our conception to our last breath, he, God, is, is ever sustaining, ever comforting those who belong to Christ because he is ever present, because our God is is ever powerful because our God is ever wise and ever knowing from conception to our last breath. He is sustaining and comforting those who are in Christ. He is the everlasting God. So I want you to turn with me, if you will, please, and we'll put it up on the screen. Psalm 139 that speaks about some of these attributes of God that kind of blend and kind of come together for us. Psalm 139. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts afar off. We've said this many times that God knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows us intimately and he knows us completely and he knows us perfectly. And and you know what? Even though he knows us so completely and perfectly, yet he still has set his love upon us. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is in my mouth, you know it completely, O Lord. That is, that God doesn't not only know what we're thinking at the moment that we're thinking it, but he knows what we're thinking before we even think it. And before we even speak it, God knows what we're about to say. Such knowledge he says in verse 6, is too wonderful for me. It's too lofty for me to attain. Sure, because when, we, when you really sit down and you really start thinking about this, you, your mind really begins to kind of short circuit and you come to the, the, the boundaries of, of understanding. This is, this is beyond our comprehension because God is beyond our comprehension because if we could, if we could fully comprehend and understand the mystery of, of God, then God wouldn't be all that divine or he wouldn't be all that powerful. But he's beyond comprehension, isn't he? Verse 7 says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Where can I fl- flee from your presence? Uh, our first parents tried to flee from the presence of the Lord and hide themselves in bushes. And God said, Adam, wh- where are you? Uh, Jonah the prophet, he, he sought to flee from the presence of the Lord and he discovered that you can't, you can't outrun God, that God 
who is ever-present. It's impossible. And so this is what the psalmist, who doesn't have a scientific degree, doesn't have a biology degree, and yet he speaks such wisdom because he's speaking beyond himself. He's speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he says, if I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there as well. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there you will, your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me. You see, when we, when we know the nature of this God, then we won't want to run away from him. We won't want to flee from him because he's made himself available to us to guide us, to direct us, to lead us, to to take us by the hand, to do the very thing that we, and I'm saying that we, we instinctively want. And, and there is this need in us for a hand that's bigger than ours to hold us. Uh, what's that song that we, that we used to sing? He never lets go through the calm and through the storm. We, we, we need that kind of a divine hand that will hold on to us so that we will not fall or slip. So he says in verse 13, you... For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. When I was being formed together, the psalmist is saying, when I was actually being knit together, God, you were there. You you know me so completely, so perfectly. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. You know, just by a, a just by a, a casual observance of the universe and and, and we know a whole lot more than they knew way back then. But, but God is greater than the universe he created. God sustains the universe by the power of his word. All things are held together by God. Scientists can't figure out what holds everything together. How come molecules and, 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 and all these things aren't just kind of banging into each other. What, what, what holds this table up? They don't understand that it's God who sustains all things by the power of his word. He says in verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to pass, This is what the psalmist is saying. God, you've known me so intimately that while I was being formed in the womb, while I was, while cells were coming together and I was, I was beginning to to become, you know, the person that I am, that, that baby in the womb, you you knew me so intimately. You, you, you saw how I was put together. You are the ever present God. And all my days, all my days, there's not a single day that we do not, do not live that God has not ordained. He says he, he's ordained every single one of them. Before one of them was even lived out, God has, has written them in his book. And there's a destiny. There's a divine destiny for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it's a wonderful one. He says, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them? Were I to count them, they would be more than could be counted. The, the psalmist is, is blown apart. It's, this is one of the verses that we used in the beginning to start this series to say how amazing it is that God should think of us 
but that God's thoughts of us are more numerable than we could possibly imagine or count. That this God who is ever-present is also ever-caring, he's also ever-sustaining, he's also ever-loving you and I. And you know what? The psalmist who, who wrote this, and I believe it was David, that he's not the only one who felt this. When the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, the word of the Lord said to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I ordained that you should become a prophet to the nations. I set you apart. And not only was it John the Baptist, but, or, 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 or John the Baptist as well, when John the Baptist was still in the womb, when he heard the voice of Mary, the babe, the Bible says, leaped in his mother's womb and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul the Apostle wrote to the Galatians and said, that it was God who separated me from my mother's womb and ordained that I should preach the mysteries of, of Christ and that Christ should be formed in me. Not every single one of us in Christ, God knew. God, God knew us while we were being developed way back in the womb. In fact, before that, before the foundation of the world, God has known. And this is where, this is where theology becomes really practical. Because not only do we discover that, that there's no place that we can go that God isn't, that he is ever present, and that's the, the, the theology part, but this is so practical because God has chosen to reveal himself not only as the God who, who is, is, is everywhere. And by the way, let me just try to explain that for a minute, which is impossible, you know. A couple of weeks ago when I, when I tried to give you an illustration that Tim Keller uses about uh, the, the, the God who relates to time. Remember I said that time is like a river that kind of courses through a mountain and th there are boats in various places, upstream, midstream, downstream, and they represent past, present, and future. But the one who is above it all, you know, on the top of the mountain sees all time because all time is present before God. The past is present before God. The future is present before God. It is inaccurate to say that God, God, predicts the future. He doesn't predict the future because the future is present before God. And just as God is, is present in all time, so God is present in, the, in his fullness everywhere. And, 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 and that is too wonderful for us to comprehend, but yet God's revealed that about himself to us in Scripture. But here's where it gets really, really helpful in my daily life. Because God has not only revealed himself as an ever-present being, but as an ever-present help. That, that felt need that we were looking for in the songs that, that I shared with you a few minutes ago, that that's what God is to us. He's an ever-present help in time of trouble. When we need him the most, I believe, that God wants to make known himself to us as an ever-present have. So I want to look at one more psalm this morning to see where it says that God is an ever-present help, where that revelation first came as God revealed himself as an ever-present help. Uh, it's a psalm that the, the rabbinical writers believe was, was written by either Isaiah the prophet or by Hezekiah, king of Judah. It was written during a time of great uh, calamity. Their world was 
was in an upheaval. Psalm 46 was probably written by either King Hezekiah or Isaiah the prophet. And if you know the background, you can kind of figure out when it was written, why it was written. It was written when Zennacherib, the king of Assyria, assembled a lethal military to besiege Jerusalem and sent letters to Hezekiah demanding his unconditional surrender. All the nations that, that Zennacherib set out to conquer, he conquered. They fell down like dominoes, and now he set his sights upon Jerusalem, and he offers King Hezekiah an ultimatum, a, a condition of absolute surrender. And so Hezekiah and Isaiah the prophet go before the Lord, and they, and they spread their, their, their letters of accusation, their letters of threat before the Lord. Now, let me just put that on pause for a minute, because this, this psalm is soaked in grace. And the reason why I say it's soaked in grace, I mean, it's saturated in, in the unmerited favor of God because this song was directed to the sons of Korah to sing. Who are the sons of Korah is important. That part of the, of the scripture, is ju- the title is just as much the part of the inspired record as is the verses itself. So, so this song was to be sung by the sons of Korah. Now, if you know, you've got to go back a little bit in history to when Korah, who was one of the uh, three crime families, you know, that's what I call them, the, 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 the kind of mafia the mafiosos of, of Israel during the days of, 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 of Moses when they tried to uh, rebel or uh, stage a coup d'etat in overtaking the leadership of the children of Israel and bring them back into, into Egypt. But, but God, Moses said, listen, if, if, if God does a new thing today and, and if he verifies that I'm the leader, then everybody, you need to know that I'm the leader and they're not. Okay, And so God did a new thing that day, and that new thing is astonishing. And if you've ever read it, it's kind of frightening. But the Bible says that when they gathered together, these three crime families, if you will, they gathered together to oppose Moses. On that day, the Bible says that the ground opened up and swallowed them up, and they went down into the pit. And they were judged. The ground opened up. Now, to me, what's so significant is that the descendants, the children of Korah, are the very ones now that became the worship leaders in the house of God. This is nothing but grace. Because all we were just as guilty of rebellion and insurrection and attempting a coup d'etat every time we wanted to, to do our own will instead of doing the will of God, we were just as guilty of of insurrection as Korah was, but yet God has called us. He's called us to become kings and priests unto our God. He's called us to become worshipers in the house of God. This is is soaked in grace. So, so, So listen to what he says. He says, God is our refuge and strength and ever present help in trouble. Therefore, here's the conclusion. When God is your strength, I love the song that we sang earlier. My strength comes from the fact that I, am, I belong to God. And when God is the strength of your life, notice verse 2. 
The therefore is the summing of that. Here's, here's, the, here's the, the fruit of this. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way. I would imagine that they must have got really emotional when they sang that part. Here are the, the descendants of Korah. When they sang, when the earth gave way, I would imagine that they must have gotten emotional, maybe tears coming down as they thought about, as they thought about their, their ancestors. Who, who were judged and the earth opened up and swallowed them up alive. And so, and so they say, though the earth gave way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and, and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. And there's that word, selah. That word, selah, is a musical instruction of rest, but it is a spiritual indication that the way in which we find our rest is in God, when God becomes the strength of our life. doesn't matter what's going on outwardly. If God is ever present, it doesn't matter what's going on outwardly. In fact, this is the antidote. This, this will produce in us fearless courage and a peace that passes understanding. If you believe this, if you believe that God is ever present, that he's always watching and that he's always caring, about you as his child. After all, he has an investment in you. Then you need not fear. Though the earth be removed and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Here's the answer. God is with us. Verse five. We will not fall. God will help us at the break of day. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The secret of our strength is that God is in our midst. The acknowledgement that God is here. I acknowledge that God is here this morning in our midst. That Jesus said, whenever two or three gather together in my name, there am I in your midst. We do not regard him as not being in the room this morning, but we conduct ourselves, we sing our songs, we preach our messages, we worship and we fellowship with being mindful that it's before the Lord himself who is in our midst. Whether we feel it or not, feeling it has nothing to do with it. We believe the promises that he's in our midst. Faith is important because it's not only necessary for me at this point to believe this, it's necessary for me at this point to confess this. It's necessary for me at this point to say that it is. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. The Bible says that the word of faith is in our heart, it's in our mouth, the word of faith which we are to what? Speak. For with the heart men believe and with the tongue or the mouth confession is made thereof. We overcome the, the wicked one by the blood of the lamb and by what? The word of our testimony. So, so speaking what we believe, speaking this faith that God is with me and the assurance of, of this fearless confidence will, will, will become a present reality in your life. How do we know that? We know that because he made this promise. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And I pointed out this verse before in the past from, from Hebrews chapter 13, it is almost impossible to translate because there are five negatives in that, in that one sentence about how it is so impossible for him to forsake us. I, I don't know if you, 
if you realize what it means for the Lord Jesus to say to us, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. What it cost him. Do you know what it cost the Son of God to say to us, I'll never leave you nor forsake you? It was that he was forsaken. That presence of God that he had always experienced was abandoned, was withdrawn from him. There was silence. There was three hours of darkness when Jesus... When Jesus cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew what it was like to be abandoned, but not just for, for a moment or two, but, but for what is tantamount to eternity of separation from God. Jesus endured that for us. He paid that ultimate price. That's the reason why we could say that we know that we know that we know that we are loved of God, that, that as the Father himself loves the Son, so, so we are loved of the, of the Father because he spared not his own son, but he freely delivered him up for us all. This is, this is why we know this. And this is the confidence that we have. This is how our heart gets fixed, trusting in the Lord, so that in the day of evil news, our heart won't be shaken. We won't be moved because we know God's with us. And if God's with us, then, then he is sufficient for every contingency. He's sufficient for every circumstance. This is security, knowing that no trial, no calamity, no, no persecution, no pestilence can ever separate me from the love of God. Not even death itself can separate me from the love of God. What's, what's, what's the ultimate thing that most people are afraid of? Death. I love what John Piper says about death. He says, he says death is like my car. It takes me where I want to go. When we're in Christ, we've already passed from death unto life. From the moment of conception to the last breath, God is there. And death will actually usher us into the unveiled presence of God, where we're no longer seeing God through a veil dimly, but we are now to see God as if it were face to face. This is... This is the grace of God. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18, it says, Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Our English word help is so deficient, so anemic when it comes to understanding the significance of what does it mean that, that he is able to help us. It means that he lends, he lends an outstretched hand. It means that he comes alongside of us in our hour of need. It means that he befriends us, that we have a friend in Jesus. Talk about all those songs that, that say, you've got a friend in me and, and, and just call on my name and I'll be there. Jesus is that friend that sticks closer than a brother. Jesus is that friend who loves at all times. And really, because this God is an ever-present God. And Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because of that fact, then, then this ever-present God is really my BFF. He really is my best forever friend. Huh. 
I like that. God's my best forever friend. You know, if, if you have, if you have uh, an iPhone or if you have an iPad, and I won't, I won't embarrass you, but d- did you know that the, the, uh, there's a couple of British guys who, who have discovered that there is a secret file in your iPhone or iPad that uh, records everywhere that you've been, everywhere that you are? It, it kind of triangulates through the uh, cell towers the longitude and the latitude, and it, and, it, and it records where you are. That might trouble you. Why does Apple want to know where you are? But that don't bother me. As long as God knows where I am. And he knows where I am at every moment. Because wherever I am, he is. He's my best forever friend. A philosopher, I think it was Socrates, asked an old man. He said, what is the one thing that you are most grateful for? What's, what, what's, what's the one thing that, that you're most thankful for? And the old man thought about that for a moment, and he said, he said being such as I am, I am grateful for the friends that I have. Can I apply that this morning to the one who is a friend who stays close? To such as I am, to such as we are, we have a best forever friend who is none other than the Son of God who has come that we might have life in him and have it more abundantly. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the grace of God. We thank you this morning that you are making yourself known to us, that you are indeed a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You are indeed a friend that loves at all times, that you're an ever-present help. And I just pray this morning, because we're all probably either in need of help or we just recently received help or we're about to need help, that this word just go down deeply into our hearts and spirits and that, that we just receive, Lord God, this morning, the encouragement to declare, to say that, God, you are our refuge and our strength, a very present help in time of need. And we thank you today, Lord for all that you've done and for all that you're doing. By the way, let me just say this on the cliffhanger of what happened to Hezekiah and Isaiah. The Lord said, don't worry about it. I'll take care of that and sent one angel, not, not an archangel, not a, not a cherubim or a seraphim, just an ordinary angel, sent out one angel that night. And in the morning, there was 185 dead Assyrian soldiers on the ground. And God took care of the problem. And God, if you will let him, will take care of your problem. Amen.